0: Hello everyone. My name is Major General Anil Verma, retired, and I am the head of ADR. Welcome to the second part of the podcast on publication of criminal cases against candidates selected by political parties along with reasons for such selection. I will now request uh, Honorable Justice Lokur to kindly share his views.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I would like to begin by saying that, you know, you've uh, selected a very, very important uh, topic uh, for discussion and which can have very far reaching consequences. Uh, Really, I think, uh, you know, we we need to think about uh, the issues that you have raised very seriously and find solutions. As of now, uh, I think getting a solution is uh, pretty difficult but uh, we will have to continue making that uh, effort. I would like to uh, you know, begin by assuming uh, what uh, Professor Shastri says is correct. Namely, that the political parties are not interested in doing anything about it. If criminals get elected, they get elected because they're supported by uh, political parties. They are financed by political parties, so the political parties are not interested. If you go back, uh, you know, to the anti-defection law, for example. All right, the anti-defection law was passed, uh, the schedule to the constitution, but then over the years, you have realized that uh, you know even this is being uh, misused or abused, uh, in a sense. For example, uh, when a petition is filed before the speaker to disqualify somebody, the speaker said, I'm not going to decide it. You do whatever you like. And we have had the Supreme Court uh, recently intervene and give a direction to the speaker that, listen, this matter is pending with you for the last two years. How about deciding it? He was given some time to decide it. The speaker said, I'm not deciding it. Then one of the parties had to go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court had to give a positive direction, and then it was complied with. Now, I'm not saying that you know the speaker was a dishonest man or any such thing, he may have been a perfectly uh, fine gentleman. But there are these compulsions, political compulsions, you know, which perhaps persuade uh, those in power or those in authority to see how best to get out of the rigor of the law and uh, therefore I think we have to proceed on the basis that uh, the political parties are not going to cooperate at all. That leads another institution that is the Election Commission. Now so far as the Election Commission is concerned it has got vast powers. Way back in the uh, case of Mahinda Singh Gill, the Supreme Court said very clearly that, listen, the election commission cannot just you know fold its hands and say that, listen, I have no power. What can I do? There's a gap. The Supreme Court said, if there's a gap, fill it. Article 324 of the constitution gives you enough power to do whatever you like, as long as it your actions go towards. A free and fair election. So you have the model code of conduct, you have various instructions that are being issued from time to time. All kinds of things are uh, possible uh, if the uh, election commission actually applies its mind to it. And it can also use this power to say that well, you know, criminals, we will make sure that they do not stand for elections. How do you define a criminal? I'll come to that uh, a little later. But persons, well, criminals may not be, uh, you know, a proper word, but persons accused of a crime. We will make sure that they do not stand for elections. Now, the power is there. It is one thing to say that oh, you know, the law doesn't uh, permit you to make, uh, you know, some kind of a form which will result in a person being disqualified or being not eligible to stand for elections when the law also doesn't prohibit you from doing that. So I think the first thing is the Election Commission should realize its powers under Article 324 of the Constitution. It should realize that free and fair elections is one of the basic structures of our Constitution and use the power for free and fair elections look at this uh, you know recent uh, decision of the supreme court which said that this information has to be uploaded on the website and so on and so forth now one of the uh, duties that the supreme court has uh, or responsibilities that the supreme court has placed uh, upon the election commission is that if our directions are not complied with this, if this information is not given on the website and so on please bring it to our notice all right so that if necessary we can take action for contempt of court has the election commission done that i don't know but my guess is the election commission has not done that so if the election commission does not also you know abide by directions that have been given does not exercise its own powers does not abide by directions that have been given by the supreme court where do we stand that is the problem we've had this huge controversy about uh, the assembly elections in uh, west bengal eight phases you know going over a couple of months that responsibility you know has to be shouldered by the election commission that yes it is our mandate under the constitution of india to ensure that free and fair elections are held and we will make sure that free and fair elections are held. Now those persons accused of criminals, how do you, you know, get them out? One way of course is to uh, you know, uh, come out with a form which requires all details to be given. Now we are aware of the fact that false cases are filed against people. So, there has to be some cutoff point, and that cutoff point has to be an arbitrary cutoff point. The safest uh, cutoff point would be when a charge sheet is filed and charges are framed. Now, unfortunately, this is where the judiciary comes in. Between the charge sheet being filed and charges being framed, sometimes it takes a couple of years. Uh, General Verma, you had mentioned about uh, Akhil Gogoi. Akhil Gogoi, charges were filed against him. Charge sheet was filed against him sometime in June last year. And till recently, I don't know if it has happened in the last one week or 15 days, charges have not been framed against him for one year. There are so many cases, there are so many cases where charges have not been framed for many, many years. What do you do about that? Okay, so to say that, well, you know, it's a heinous offense, it's a petty offense, this, that, and the other. Well, yes, you can have a classification, certainly, you know, for heinous offenses. Uh, But the role of the judiciary becomes important. That is the third uh, stakeholder, so to speak, in this entire uh, range of activities, apart from the political parties and uh, the Election Commission, You have the judiciary. Now, you had in 2013 the Chief Information Commissioner say that uh, you know some information has to be provided if asked under the Right to Information Act by political parties because they are public authorities. That was in 2013, seven eight years ago. The matter was taken up; it is pending in the Supreme Court from 2015 onwards. So. The judiciary says that, oh, what's the hurry, you know, uh, things will take their own time. Okay, and, uh, public authority ho ya na ho, kya hai? That it can't be like that, you know, then you have criminal cases that are pending for years together. Very recently it came out uh, during the lockdown. Uh, Papu Yadav was uh, accused of having, you know, consistently violated the lockdown. And he was arrested and it came out of course it must have been known but it came out that he was accused of an offense of uh, kidnapping or abduction i'm not sure way back in 1989 32 years ago the case is still pending right in the meanwhile he has got elected as an MLA. he's got uh, elected as a member of parliament what do you do so the judiciary also has a great responsibility and that great responsibility is in deciding cases expeditiously. It is one thing to say that special courts should be set up, that that's been tried. Fast-track courts should be set up, that has also been tried. Then special fast-track courts have been set up, that has also been tried. And fast-track special courts have also been set up. But the basic problem is that these cases have to be decided quickly. If a person has been falsely implicated in a case and he is told within a year or within six months or whatever it is, we will pass judgment, you know, and uh, if you're guilty, you're guilty, fine. You will know within a year. If you're not guilty, you will know within a year. It doesn't matter whether it's a petty offence, you know, stealing a cell phone, whether it's a robbery or whether it's a murder or whether it's a rape, we'll decide it. And once that is done, The election law sets in, you know, comes into uh, motion. If a person has been convicted of murder, there's no way that anybody is going to, you know, uh, make sure that he stands for elections and gets elected. In any case, there's a disqualification under the RP Act. So really the key players, that is the political parties, no action. Election commission, yes, no, yes, no. Well, there's nothing more I would like to say. Judiciary, you have to be proactive. You can pass judgments like this, you know, contempt of court, this, that, the other. But they have to be pragmatic. Now you have shown uh, General Varna about reasons. Now all kinds of reasons can be given. What what is a political party supposed to do? Call 100 people and say, listen, we are going to interview you. And then we are going to decide which one of you should uh, stand for elections. It's impossible. So the directions are well-meaning. I'm not saying that, you know, directions should not have been given. The directions are well-meaning, but they are not capable of being implemented. Maybe there could be a time lag to involve people. That is the fourth uh, category, you know, which is of great interest in the free and fair election process. Fourth category is the people. They should have enough time to know through newspapers, TV, so on and so forth, social media, whatever, that this person, these are the allegations against him. If I want to verify and I'm given 24 hours to verify, I will not know. I will not be able to find out. If I know that a person has suppressed some in, uh, some candidate, has uh, you know, guilty of, uh, or accused of attempted murder, Not disclosed, I know it, but if that information is not made available, what can I do about it? I can't do about it. I can't tell anybody that, listen, I know that there's a case pending against him. So the dissemination of information and the time lag during which a voter can make use of that information is also important. So to say that within 48 hours this has to be done or within 36 hours this has to be done, the time may not be enough. You know why not uh, say that? All right, one month before the elections, or one and a half months before the elections, the nomination has to be filed, and let the people uh, know for one month or one and a half months, whatever. I mean, some uh, period. So the people have to be involved. That dissemination of information must be there, and the dissemination. It's not that you know. Okay, I put it in the newspapers. They has to, they have to be people who will say that. Well, you know, read the newspaper. They're not reading newspapers. They don't read newspapers. So how do I know? I don't watch TV. So how do I know, right? So the manner of dissemination also has to be looked into, so that the people get actively involved in this. So I would say that uh, really, uh, you know, there are four stakeholders. I think each one of them has a duty. Each one of them has a responsibility. One of them you can leave out. That is the political parties, and uh, the other three, of course, have an important role. One last point. The use of countermanding elections. I don't know when was the last time when an election was countermanded. I think we have to use that a little more literally. The Election Commission will have to use that a little more literally. It may come to know at some point of time that, listen, this guy has filed a false affidavit or something. Holding an election is expensive. I know very expensive. But countermanding an election is like a surgery. And if a surgery is required, it has to be done. If you can't cure the cancer with chemotherapy, radiotherapy, you have to have surgery. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Justice Lokur. I will now request uh, <clears throat> Mr. O.P. Rawat to kindly give his Welcome, Mr. Rawat. Over to you. Uh, Honorable Justice Lokur, uh, General Verma, uh, Mr. Ray and uh, other respected uh, personalities uh, present in this discussion. Uh, first of all, let me thank ADR and General Varma to have given me this opportunity to participate in this uh, very important uh, interaction. Uh, secondly, I would just like to uh, say that uh, this whole proposition has two parts. First part is making voters take well-informed decision about the candidates whether they are hardened criminals whether they are accused of very serious offenses and then decide whether to vote for them or not i think that's fair enough and that has really uh, gone to the ground as justice lokur has pointed out that there should be a firm to disseminate this information far and wide so that even an illiterate voter becomes knowledgeable about these things. Quite a few attempts have been made uh, at uh, different levels and quite a few election authorities have ensured that even at the polling station, this kind of detail published in the newspapers is also displayed. So helping the voter take a well-informed decision about the criminal allegations against their candidate is well taken. The second is really a messy area. Second part is extraneous people entering into the political process. Selection of candidates is core of political process. And re-entering into political process, even Honourable Supreme Court has stated in quite a few judgments, that election commission has no locus standi to enter into political process per se. Therefore, when we try to enter the political process, we have to be very circumspect. Second thing here, entering into political process, the point Justice Bokur made that election commission can use 1977 ruling M S Gill versus Chief Election Commissioner and others to exercise its plenary powers to either countermand the election or to take action. I don't agree to that because the Honorable Supreme Court has time and again said that this power is available only when there is a legal void, where, where, where there is no provision to meet a challenge before the Commission. Now here, Representation of People Act, IPC, there are so many provisions to meet this challenge of criminality and express provisions are made there and election commission just cannot exercise that power under article 324 and if at all we have to test waters, I think we can suggest to the election commission that in one particular case, let us try this and when the matter goes up to the Supreme Court, let us see what happens. My personal view is that, absolutely no, it is not available to the Election Commission. Now, lastly, I will only like to say that, in case we are not succeeding this way, we must look for improving, expediting investigation and trials of all such cases. Mr. Stoker also mentioned these things. Uh, and expressed a little helplessness that how will it uh, happen but i personally feel that to bring faith of people in our systems we must look into investigation system and the system of trials of such cases which are so important for formation of our uh, parliament and government i think uh, that may help us get to a little better uh, representative uh, people uh, through elections and uh, otherwise we will again be continuing to be at sea. Finally I'll say that political conflict, earlier it is to be decided by killing people. Democratic elections have provided the most peaceful solution to the political conflict. And it is happening time and again in our country and even in other democracies, with some exceptions, that political conflict is decided most peacefully. Now entering into political process by some proxies may not be in the best interest of this whole development. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Rawat. I now request Mr. Alok to kindly share his views.
2: Thank you. Uh, Thank you for inviting me to this event uh, to speak about uh, what I believe is perhaps one of the most important issues concerning the future of democratic India, which is uh, criminalization of politics. We are focusing on a narrow aspect of it. So let me address two issues right up before I go to what are the solutions. The first is uh, we shouldn't try to drink the entire ocean in one gulp. Criminalization in politics has many, many different aspects. One aspect of it is, of course, the entry of persons of criminal background into the Lok Sabha and the Rajya Sabha and the various state assemblies. That is definitely one aspect of it. But that is not the only aspect of it or not, or perhaps not even the worst aspect of it. Perhaps the worst aspect of it, and I will address, again, to use another metaphor, the elephant in the room which is that there is a section of voter who doesn't mind or actively votes for a criminal when they are presented with a choice. I believe Mr. Ray perhaps mentioned this research right at the start, but I'll refer to it once again. It's, it's this book which I have right here, When Crime Pays by Milan Vaishnav. He has used a lot of ADR data itself and he has drawn a very depressing but true conclusion that a section of voters don't mind a candidate with a criminal with criminal antecedents. Obviously, that is a much longer, much longer frame, changes are needed, but we have to accept that we can make smaller changes without necessarily being able to tackle the biggest change, which is this, that a certain section of voter doesn't mind a criminal candidate or even actively wants a criminal candidate, right? That is as far as how we frame the problem is concerned. The second point that I want to make is that there is no concept of electoral reform without judicial and police reform. I think Justice Lokor and Sir have before me have mentioned this. Let me just point out to say that we cannot just expect that uh, even if political parties will it. Right? Uh, let's take the best possible case. Tomorrow the Parliament of India passes exactly an amendment to the representation of the People's Act, making the kind of changes that today we are discussing. I can, I can tell you that without appropriate changes to the judicial uh, system and our police uh, system it will not make a difference we will still have the same problems of persons criminal backgrounds getting into the picture now having said these two very large points right I'm I'm not saying that it's not possible to do any reform but I do believe that and and I'll say this in like what can be done immediately what can be done in the medium term and what can be done in the longest possible term. all right which will take the longest time The immediate change, and I believe, and I take a cue from uh, what Justice Lokur has said, the directions issued by the Supreme Court in the two cases which we have been discussing so far, uh, the independent, the the trust for independent uh, uh, political side, um, what needs to happen is that those directions need to be reframed. I think what two important things need to happen. One is that the Supreme Court needs to very specifically state out uh, what are the reasons? It it, it it makes no sense to say that uh, winnability cannot be a criterion. The Supreme Court needs to sort of uh, just lay down specifically what kind of reasons are act- acceptable rather than just saying this reason is unacceptable. Everything else is okay. And as Justice Loko pointed out, that particular set of directions need to be reframed with an eye to making them more pragmatic. It should be something that political parties can you know, comply with without a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, or doing such sort of copy-paste as was shown in uh, ADR's initial research itself. The second aspect of the change in the directions, this is the radical change that I'm suggesting, is that the Supreme Court should put enforcement in the hands of the High Court, which by which I mean to say that the Supreme Court should say that at the State Assembly election level, the compliance should be placed before the Hansard High Court, not in the Supreme Court. We have to understand the Supreme Court, how many of our judges we may appoint, there is only one Supreme Court. Although judges have a limited amount of time, no matter how well-intentioned, energetic and efi- efficient they are, they are dealing with far more matters than they should be. And if we burden the Supreme Court to see, just to take an example, if we say the five state elections, now the Supreme Court should oversee contempt, I can guarantee you nothing is going to happen. What I would suggest is we have, we have other high courts here who can help the Supreme Court in this respect. The procedural aspects can be worked out on this. I would say the Supreme Court should say for the purposes of state assembly elections, we should look to uh, try, uh, place this before the high courts and let the election commission and the political parties file uh, compliance uh, uh, affidavit, uh, compliance, affidavits, uh, before the concerned high courts. This, I believe, will decentralize the process of enforcing these directions, enforcing the kinds of changes. Uh, That is at least a medium term solution. It may not happen tomorrow. It may take a little bit of time for even the high cost to get an idea of what's going to happen. Finally, I have one long term solution. And this long term solution is something that uh, is not very easy to achieve. It requires a different kind of political will. But this is a political will that has already been expressed. And this is in the form of how do we change our political system? Such that that MLA or that MP is not the person who you put into power because he or she will serve the needs only of your caste. It's great that we are talking about about uh, what do you say Uh, uh, removing criminals in politics. But honestly, for someone sitting uh, for for I'm, I'm here sitting in Bangalore, my constituency is Bangalore Central. I may vote for the best person. I think I think however clean they are in the political situation. But for someone in rural Bihar where whether the right person being an MLA or an MP is a literal matter of life and death. And I mean life and death in the sense of your enrollment in in an Aadhaar might depend on it. Your enrollment in a government scheme might depend on it. Whether your children get into school might get into it. The kind of patronage politics that we are seeing. That is what has to change in the longer term. Unless that changes, unless we find a way... To make the Indian state not be so centralized. And when I say centralized, I don't just mean central government. Even at the state level, we see enormous levels of centralization where somebody sitting in, say, a Bangalore determines what should be the vaccination strategy in Haveri at the other end of the state. So, this decentralization where the government that serves you is as close as possible with you, that you don't need a Bahubali to be able to go to, uh, uh, to the assembly and literally take favors for you on behalf of your caste or community or religion, that is what needs to be broken. And to that end, I do believe decentralization has enormous potential to just fundamentally change the way in which the Indian state works. As long as we believe people are passive recipients of what someone in a state or a central capital decides, the only way people are going to be able to approach these state and central capitals is through this kind of person who can show that I am strong enough to demand this from uh, the chief minister or the prime minister. So I believe this is, of course, a huge long term change. But I do believe if we take the term democratic reforms seriously, we have to include an element of decentralization into the context. And that also requires that a, a, there cannot just be one ADR. Let me just sort of end this on the point to say that we probably need a 100 ADRs in this country. The task of ensuring accountability of elected representatives should start uh, should, should not start and stop at the MP, MLA level. It should go down to the panchayat and the corporator level. I do believe if we strengthen the grassroots of India's democracy, it will work its way up. It, if we change the way in which people hold their local government accountable, it will work its way up. And we will find that the people will weed out criminals on their own. I I think that is, I I, I think Justice Lokur also made this point, the biggest ally in this will eventually be the Indian uh, electorate. And more than any institution, we can strengthen the EC all we want, we can make the judiciary as independent as we want, we can make the police as efficient and effective as we want. But the only real way to drive democratic reforms in this country is to make the electorate an ally. And the electorate will be an ally when when you show them that the reforms that we are asking for will fundamentally change how government governance works and not just in terms of we will reduce number of criminals and MPs and uh, uh, criminals and that's uh, Sabha Lok Sabha by x number x percentage. That's all I really wanted to say. Thank you once again for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure listening to my co-panelists as well.
0: Thank you, Mr. Log. With this, we come to an end to our podcast. If you wish to learn more about ADR's contributions in this matter. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on our website adrindia.org or write to us at adr at adrindia.org with your feedback. We will be back with another amazing episode so stay tuned and thank you for listening.